A while back, when I was still in California, I was standing outside my house and a, a woman pulled her car over and asked if I'd help her. Apparently, someone had hit a squirrel in the road and she wanted me to call someone to help the squirrel. Who, I don't know. So I went over to try to see what I could do, but quite honestly, the whole time I was thinking, I don't want to do this. This is awkward. This is kind of a waste of time. I mean, it's just a squirrel. It's a fuzzy rodent, that's all. <laughs> Besides, at the time, I was busy. I, I had a Bible study lesson to prepare on the Good Samaritan. <laughs> yes. Now, I did help her out, but I've got to tell the truth. One of the reasons I did was because I worked at a very large church, and I didn't know if she went there or not, so <laughs> I figured I'd better be nice. And it turned out the squirrel was dead anyway, so there was nothing I could do. But the whole time I had this inner turmoil, thinking I should want to help, but I don't. What's wrong with me? And maybe that's how some of you feel whenever a pastor starts to preach about the Good Samaritan and tells you to go out and be a servant. Now, for some of you, that is an exciting call to action. But others of you are, are more like me, and sometimes your heart sinks when you hear a call to go serve someone and go be a servant. And I think there are good reasons for that. Most of us are very busy people in between work and school and kids and grandkids. Our hands are full just trying to do life. And then you hear a sermon about being a good Samaritan and you think, oh great, where am I going to fit that in? Guess I'll pencil it in for Tuesday, you know, be a good Samaritan. Others of us have lost jobs or we have emotional or health problems and we feel like we need help more than we can give it. Now if those are your reactions to serving others, you're not alone. And for me, that's why this parable of the Good Samaritan has always been a hard one. Because uh, frankly, I don't always want to be a Good Samaritan. Sometimes I do, but not always. In fact, I can't find anyone in this parable that I want to be or that I can relate to. I mean, there's the lawyer. Who wants to be that guy, right? I mean, no, I wasn't against lawyers. That was just, came out wrong. Jesus says, go love your neighbors, and to try to justify himself, he pulls one of the great lawyer moves of all time. Could we define neighbor there, Jesus? Who's that? I don't want to be that guy just trying to justify myself. I certainly don't identify with the priest. He goes to the other side of the road, probably out of piety. You see, the wounded man would have been considered unclean, and if the priest touched him, he would have been unclean. So because of his religion... The priest turns away. Now, there are people who won't associate with others because they view them as immoral and they don't want to be defiled, but that's not me. I don't do that, so I'm not the priest. I might be the Levite. He ignores the stranger probably because the priest did, so he's just going along with the crowd. Or maybe he's too busy. Either way, that could be me. Sometimes I don't want to help because it feels socially awkward or or maybe I'm too busy. Either way, that could be me, but I don't want it to be. I don't want to be the Levite. And I'm definitely not the Good Samaritan, at least not yet. For one thing, I'm not a Samaritan. 
In Jesus' culture, Samaritans were hated. They were considered half-breeds and heretics and traitors. In fact, that's the shock of this story, that it's a Samaritan that's the hero. Because in Jesus' culture, good and Samaritan were not words that should have gone together. Well, that's not me. I'm not despised. I'm not considered the least likely person to help someone. It's the opposite, right? I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to care about people and squirrels and stuff. (laughs) So I'm not that. I'm not despised. And if I were, I'd probably be bitter and wouldn't help anyone anyway. So I'm not a Samaritan, and I'm definitely not good. I have plenty of sin. So I can't relate to any of the people in this story, except for one. The one the preachers never talk about, the innkeeper. The guy the Samaritan pays to take care of the wounded man. He serves, but only because he's asked to do it, and because there's a reward in it for him. Now that's me. Yes, that's who you called to be your pastor. You voted for me in the congregational meeting. Your fault. But you know what? I know I'm not alone. I know many of you feel that way. Either because you've told me or you've implied as much in your actions. And you know what? I think God understands that. I think God takes us where we're at. You see, preachers always tell us that we should be the Good Samaritan, and certainly that is the point of this story. We're supposed to be that person. But that's a tall order, and some of us aren't there yet. We're trying, but we're just not there yet. That's why Jesus gives us another character to relate to. Sort of an intermediate step between us and the Good Samaritan, the innkeeper. He serves because he's asked and because he's promised something for his troubles. Now that I can aim for on my way to the Good Samaritan. You see, actually, I think the Good Samaritan is not an image of us. I think it's more an image of Jesus. In fact, throughout the Middle Ages, that's how this parable was read. It's actually pretty clear, literary-wise. The Samaritan saves a dying man through his sacrifice, just like Jesus does. The oil and the wine the Samaritan uses are images of of the cross and communion. The Samaritan says he's coming back, just like Jesus says he's coming back. The Samaritan is Jesus. You and I are two different people in this story. First, all of us are the wounded man along the side of the road. The text doesn't say what kind of clothes he was wearing, which means his, his religious status and age were, were, were not mentioned. His race isn't mentioned. In other words, this is every man and every woman. And all of us have been beat up by sin, by life, by brokenness, and left on the side of the road. And Jesus comes along and saves us, dies on the cross to forgive us, and then he carries us to other people who will help him finish the task of making us whole. And that's what the church is for. We're talking about what is the church. It is an inn. It is an inn for people who have been beat up and Jesus has rescued. It's a place for them to recover. And you and I are innkeepers, called to participate with Christ, in mending and restoring broken people. Jesus brings us people to care for, and he says, if you do this, there'll be something in it for you. As we ramp up for our Jubilee year in 2005, we're going to be talking a lot about how we as a congregation can go out and serve and give our lives away and be servants to other people. 
But there's one problem with that message, one potential problem. And that is that it can produce feelings of guilt. I should. I ought. Oh, I feel bad. That is never how Jesus treats us. Jesus never gives us a guilt trip. He only issues gracious invitations to participate in the abundant life that he wants to give us. He promises us a reward. In Matthew 19, Jesus says, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and also eternal life. In this story, Jesus says, If you love God and you love your neighbor, you'll live. In other words, that's what life is about, loving God and others. And if you do that, well, you'll really be living. You'll be living the full life. When we serve others in God's name, there is a blessing for us. Maybe you make a new friend as you serve. Maybe you actually really enjoy the service. Always, though, always what we get when we serve is we get to see Jesus better and he becomes more real to us. Before I went to Guatemala last week, people kept saying, Oh, this is so good of you to go. What? Oh, this is so good that you're going. Oh, nonsense. I am not good. Let me disabuse you of that notion. I go on short-term mission trips because every time I do, I see God. And I see His power. And I see what He can do. I saw it last week. And that's exciting to me. When we serve God, we see God, and that gives us joy. And it doesn't have to be some huge, big act of service either. In fact, there are three things about the innkeeper's service that encourage me. The first is it's small. The innkeeper isn't asked to make the highways safe or stop crime or solve poverty or save the whales. He's not asked to do any of that. He's asked to take care of one person for a few days. Now, some people are called to do the big things, like go be a missionary. But even then, they're finding joy in that. I'm looking at Ted Nan here. They're not looking miserable to me. Okay? They're looking, he gets to go fly planes over the jungle. That's neat. Right? <laughs> it looks like they have joy. But others of us will be called to smaller acts of service. Listen to someone who's depressed. Take care of a single mom's kid so she can get some rest. Cook dinner for a sick neighbor. Teach Sunday school. Small. The second thing about the innkeeper's service is he's equipped for it. Inns are set up to revive tired and hungry people. He's equipped for it. Jesus never asks us to do something that he won't equip us for. Now, he may ask you to do something you don't feel equipped to do. That's a different thing. You may not feel equipped to answer a coworker's questions about faith or listen to someone who's depressed. But if he brings that person into your life, he will equip you for that service. We'll be equipped. And the third thing about the innkeeper's service is it's in his reach. He can do it right where he's at. Your neighborhood, your office, your school, it's in your reach. A few years ago, a friend of mine took his junior high age daughter trick-or-treating. And his daughter is a very, very socially awkward kid. And other kids always avoided her. Well, they went trick-or-treating at a neighbor's house, and, and it just so happened that a bunch of her classmates were also there at the same time, and they started teasing her because she wasn't cool enough for them. Well, the neighbor that they were trick-or-treating at, well, he, he happened to be this young 20-year-old guy, 
uh, good-looking, tall, super athletic, who just loves this little girl. And when he opened the door and saw the social dynamics that were going on, he looked at my friend's daughter and with a big smile he said, How is my favorite girl in the whole world? You are the most beautiful girl ever. And then he hugged her. At which point all the other junior high girls' eyes got huge. <laughs> because suddenly the social pyramid had been inverted. And they were on the bottom and she was on the top, which horrified them. That was a simple, powerful act of service from this guy. It was small. It was in his reach. He was equipped for it. I mean, God made him good looking for some reason, right? <laughs> there it was. And for him, there was a reward. He got to see God use him to give this girl one moment of dignity in her tortured life. I have another friend who was depressed because of some relationship and career problems. And one day, he passed by a homeless man on the street, just walked on by like he normally does, but then for some reason, something made him turn around. And he went back to the homeless man and he said, I won't give you any money, but I will buy you dinner. So they went to Burger King, and the conversation turned to religion. And the homeless man said, Ah, oh, I'm not very religious. I, I just believe it's karma. It's all karma. You know, you get what you deserve. And my friend said, Well, you know what? If it's karma, then I'm in trouble. Because I can't do enough good things to balance out all the bad things I do. And that's why I follow Jesus. Because he died to forgive my sins. The homeless man said, That's a good point. <laughs> A few days later, I met with my friend, and I asked him how he was doing, and he said, way better. And I said, well, why? And he told me that story, and he said, I got to see God use me, and that made God more real, and that lifted my depression. Again, that was a small act of service. He wasn't asked to open up a homeless shelter just by dinner. And it, was, it was a little outside his comfort zone. Service is not always easy, but God equipped him for it, and it helped the homeless guy, certainly, but it helped my friend, too. Because he got to see that God was real and that lifted his depression. When we serve God, we see God and that gives us joy. You know, when you read through the Bible, it is so easy to focus on the superstars of the faith who did great things. You know, Moses, David, Paul, the Good Samaritan. But there are hundreds of unnamed, unsung servants of God whose act of service is small but whose reward was great. Think of the guy who lets Paul stay in his house after his conversion. Or the innkeeper who lets Mary and Joseph use his manger. Or what about the guy who lends Jesus his donkey on Palm Sunday so that Jesus can ride into Jerusalem? All of those people got to see God. right? The, the guy who hosted Paul got to see a, a murderer transformed into the greatest apostle ever. The innkeeper got to see Mary give birth to the Savior of the world. Now, he probably didn't know it was the Savior of the world, but when wise men and shepherds started showing up, he thought something was different, right? <laughs> now, how about the guy who loaned Jesus the donkey to ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? He got to see the Son of God riding on his donkey. Right? I mean, that, that's great, right? Everyone sort of around him is shouting, Hail Jesus, King of the Jews, Messiah! And there's this guy going, see that? That's my donkey. <laughs> Works pretty good with the Son of God on it, don't you think? How cool is that? I am not the Good Samaritan. I am trying to be. 
But I'm not there yet. And my God understands that. And so in the meantime, I can be the innkeeper. I will serve because my Lord asks me to and I want to obey him. And because he has promised me that when I do, I will see him better and find joy. So who's your neighbor? Who is in your reach? Who is God bringing into your life and asking you to take care of them? And how might you serve them, even if it's just in a small way? And what joy and what intimacy might you miss out on if you don't? The church is an inn for hurting people, and we are innkeepers. Jesus brings us people and invites us to care for them. Be an innkeeper, but not because I told you so, and not because you want to be a good Christian. That's an oxymoron anyway. Do it because God asked you to, and you want to obey him, and because you want to receive the abundant life he is just dying to give you. Lord Jesus, we confess that we don't always want to serve others as as much as you invite us to. But Lord, please teach us. Help us to be innkeepers as we strive to become the good Samaritan that you are. Lord, we want to obey you. We want to serve. And if you lead us, we can. Here we are, Lord. Send us. In your name. Amen.